you put ribs in the oven at 200 degrees for four hours and they fall off the bone. Your body is on your skeleton at 98 degrees for 70 years and nothing. <laughs> Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of the Unst.com. It's crazy. Bill had a show last night, an honest-to-goodness show. It's kind of weird, right? Well, maybe he'll have one more show before the end of the year. Jump in on the Beleagle Immigrants Group and let us know if there's somewhere else on the West Coast you'd like to see Mr. Bill before this hell year expires. Bill's guest today is Copycat. He's from Australia. He makes incredibly technical and aggressive and interesting music. And it's like a guaranteed, we got to get this guy on the line up type person whenever Bill plays his homeland. They have a fun conversation because they're old buds and it's just a lovely damn time. Almost makes things seem normal, huh? Thanks to everyone for supporting the show and keeping us going on our Patreon. You get early access to episodes, bonus content. There's some exclusive merch options here and there when I feel like doing something fun and weird. And you get a nice warm feeling in your tummy every time you listen to the show. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash Tunes. Finally, please head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, access to nearly 30 sample packs, and so much more. All right, here's Bill's chat with Copycat. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 um it's good to chat to you man how, how you been doing yeah yeah it's been a while i've been good i've been really good yeah nice. still yeah, well. yeah what have you been up to um i actually just moved to melbourne uh so i'm well that's where i am now um yeah i rode a bike a motorbike down from queensland wow it's a long was, ride yeah yeah it was it was, just, it was a fairly substantial ride um I feel like it was actually better than I expected. I thought it was going to be like real grueling, just like, well, not grueling, but just long. Um, but yeah, I think once I ironed out all the kinks and stuff with it, like um, just like wind noise and shit, it was fine. And rugging up because it gets fucking cold. <laughs> right. It was really cold. But yeah, so now um, I'm here. Yeah. Have you like, have you ridden motorbikes before or did you just decide you wanted to start now and then <laughs> ride straight to Melbourne? Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, like I, um, I got my license earlier this year. Um, and then I got a bike like a couple months later. So I got a bike, I got a motorbike in like halfway through September. Yeah. So I've only had a bike for like a month <laughs> and Damn. I rode down two weeks ago. And you had so, a, yeah. a motorbike before that? Uh, well, I had to obviously like ride to get my license and stuff. So I did like practice, but it was just mostly at the like the place where they like they evaluate you and stuff. So I just had like a couple of practices and then the went for the test. And it's uh, yeah, yeah, transport department or something like that. I don't know what it's what it's actually called. So I think in, 
in Australia, at least in New South Wales, it used to be the RTA and then they changed it to the RMS. And lately I've been dealing with the DMV, which is the American version. DMV? What does mm-hmm. that stand for? Something uh, I think motorized it starts, vehicles? Yeah, Department I think of the, motorized vehicles? Yep, I think that's exactly what it stands for. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why they need, like, that shouldn't be, you don't need three words to say that. It just means like car building like it's i don't know department i don't know i don't know why they need acronyms for that stuff yeah maybe they should just call it car building (laughs) uh where in melbourne are you living uh i'm in the cbd so it's like pretty much locked down at the moment um i mean like you have to wear masks and stuff um when you go out but yeah it's it's all right like i think a lot of people were like don't go down it's gonna be so bad like you're gonna hate it um, but honestly, like it was such a good change of scenery and like, I, th- I feel like obviously when it opens back up, it'll be better, but, um, yeah, it's just like nice to be in a new city and hanging out. It's pretty, it's pretty like quiet at the moment, but obviously having a bike, having quiet roads is like the best thing. Cause you can just whiz around anywhere and yeah, it's yeah, pretty totally. sick. That's sick. So yeah. basically what sparked the movement was just wanted a change of scenery. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know if like, I don't have any like massive affinity towards Melbourne as a city. Like I'm not, I don't get super excited about it. But yeah, just like a new city and new shit to do and just like have my own place and stuff is nice. I think as far so as far. Australian cities go, Melbourne is my favorite one. Yeah. I, live, I lived there for the last six months that I lived in Australia. <clears throat> um, and I was like planning to just be there for like just indefinitely, I guess. But then like shit ramped up real quick in the electronic music thing. And then I was like, ah, oh, probably should just move to America actually. Yeah. Yeah. For music, I can see like I, I would definitely go overseas for the music stuff. But yeah. So you, you moved here for six months because you were in Sydney yeah. before that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I lived in Sydney for <clears throat> like 26 years of my life. And then I lived in Melbourne for six months and then moved to America. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you move to Melbourne for the music scene? Yeah, I mean, I, well, it's a long story. I basically moved there because uh, I was kind of like having some issues in Sydney with like uh, my family and stuff. Um, mm. <clears throat> it was just like a toxic environment for me yeah. to be in. Uh, so I left for that reason and I just had a good like opportunity to live in Melbourne because like some friends offered me a really good deal. It was like, they fuck, it was so cheap. It was like 560 Australian dollars a month for like two Holy rooms. Christ. and they were like it was like two sick rooms and it was in this old school like blue cobblestone house in Yarraville which was super (laughs) nice that's Um, mad yeah it was awesome it was like the best deal ever but uh so that was sick and yeah I really like I have a lot of friends there and I really like the music scene there so that's kind of why I moved there but then I realized uh that the music scene in Melbourne is kind of fucked or i guess it's kind of fucked in australia in general because everyone smokes meth yeah true yeah i heard the drug problem was pretty bad down here but i didn't know what exactly was going on yeah i mean i I thought if i moved there into like the middle of a scene where everyone was like you know making tunes and and stuff like that like we'd all be hanging out and making tunes all the time and and yeah would be what what happens but it's more meth. about just like you, you're hanging out doing meth and you might make tunes if you're doing the meth because <laughs> I never did meth. I just never was hanging around those people. Yeah. Wow. That's really bizarre. I can see why you're only there for six months. 
Well, that wasn't the reason I was only there for six months. I probably would have stayed longer if I didn't have like an opportunity to come here. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so you, you're saying you just got back into the music thing because you, you um, so you kind of like uh, had a period where you were just like fuck music, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think like in reflection, I probably needed it like just to sort of normalize a bit because I had a, like a lot of just like anxiety and I guess just like shit, like shit with my family as well. Like so before I came down to Melbourne, I uh, was up on the Sunshine Coast where I grew up for uh, that was like the past two months um, before I came down here. Um, and I just like confronted a bunch of stuff with my folks and like, I guess just like dealt with some shit I had to deal with as a person. And I think after that, I like just saw a lot of patterns where I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually probably like a lot of the things I worry about are more to do with just like my own personal shit than to do with like the music scene or whatever so I got a lot of resolve uh and then yeah since coming down here I guess I kind of like wanted to just like not worry so much about what might happen and just go for it because I love making music um but yeah it took a pretty big hiatus like well not a big hiatus but like you know I kind of like deleted my SoundCloud and all that stuff for a while just to I guess see what it would feel like just to not have any sort of music stuff or that in my life and just like be Andre exclusively not that like anything hectic was happening with my music but just more like I got really absorbed with it and like I don't know yeah you're telling me you um sort of got to a point with it where a lot of the decisions that you're making musically were based around this hypothetical idea of how well it would do on SoundCloud and stuff like that right yeah yeah that was definitely a thing and that was just like you know insecurity um yeah yeah so I was definitely like for a while really sort of fixated on what people were saying about me and like just any sort of like response I'd get on like Instagram or Twitter or SoundCloud or like if somebody posted my tune on like a YouTube channel or something I just like kind of fed off it um which was not healthy like um, but I think in retrospect, it was mostly to do with the fact that I couldn't acknowledge for myself that my music was good. Like I couldn't look at it for myself and go like, that's actually a good tune. Like I worked hard on that and that was like worth it. And, you know, I'm happy with it. I had to like kind of hear it from other people because I just like refused to be happy with it. Um, so, yeah, it was like a lot of insecurity and I definitely used like my social media and stuff as a way to, um, I guess, medicate that. Like, yeah kind of I feel sense. that no that makes total sense <clears throat> and honestly I think like a lot of artists are like that but are not self-aware enough to sort of figure out that that's how they even are they yeah they're just sort of like on autopilot doing that without sort of questioning it but I, I've definitely thought about that a bunch myself um <clears throat> uh where there's been periods where I'll write music specifically for like a uh, dance floor that I'm not playing to because I mean there's no dance floor in your studio right like you're, yeah. <laughs> you're just making tunes yeah. to yourself really um, so I'll like kind of build this uh, this scenario in my head of like people and I'll be like oh that that would definitely work to the like to the group of people in my head yeah. <laughs> I'll just get into this position where I'm like this is dumb why am I even writing music for a thing in my head that doesn't exist yeah, just kind of catering. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I think quarantine. it's hard. Oh, sorry, go on. No, you're right. No, go. 
Oh, I was going to say, yeah, quarantine has been great for that for me because it's been like no shows, right? So I've, I've kind of fallen back into my old ways of just making IDM. And the whole reason I used to make IDM is because I kind of realized early on that like my sound design is not super good and like my mixing skills are not super good, but I'm really good at like being fast at Ableton. So I was like, yeah, oh, right. I'm just going to do more edits than anyone else then. Like that, that seems to be <laughs> the, the cooler, like that's, that's my strong point, right? So I'll just flex on that. Um, <laughs> so I've been like doing that a bunch again lately, just like editing a ton. Yeah, you definitely shred with the chopping and stuff. You got chops, bro. But like, yeah, your, yeah, your music, I think that's definitely been a strong point. Like most of your stuff, particularly your vocal chops, man. Like I'm always like, yeah, wild about the vocal chops nice yeah i've been getting back into that a little bit too i kind of got out of that and that again the reason i fell out of doing vocal chops was because like a few people were like oh that's cheesy that's lame uh Uh, yeah see that i hate that stuff because i think this is like totally ties in with like a lot of people sort of catering to an audience is like when you're real like insecure like you know like me at points like if you're real insecure no matter how much positive praise you get one negative little thing that someone says just like impacts your writing process so much like i found if one person was like oh i don't like this tune as much even if there are a fuck ton of comments being like oh this is so good like i love this tune that one person that was like oh that's kind of lame or that's a bit cheesy or whatever i just like think about that every time i went to write after that it was just like in my head (laughs) and it's just the funny thing is though is like 90 nine percent of the time like if you listen to that person's music you'd probably be like there's no way i'm taking any mix (laughs) advice off you or like any advice musically at all um yeah generally i try to ignore that stuff but it is hard to ignore also another thing is like um and i've said this on my podcast a bunch of times is that the majority of your fan base is a people you'll never hear from ever like negative or yeah. positive it's like you you only hear from a very small percentage of them so it's like most of the people listening uh are just people who aren't commenting you know yeah because i mean yeah that's like so true and 10, 10, plays on a tune you'll only get like 100 comments right so it's yeah like, where, what, what's the, what are the other 9900 people doing they're just yeah. listening and going about their day yeah, it's true. It's actually not really necessarily a super accurate reflection of like who's listening and how they're responding to it. Well, that's cool that you're getting back into music. I'm glad that you like kind of work through all your stuff because I think I think you add a lot to the scene in terms of what you do. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy it. Like I love the, the whole community aspect of it in terms of like, I don't know, just some of the dudes I've met through like Upscale and and um you know even hanging out on discord and stuff that whole aspect of it is like i don't know that's a real thing for me because i feel like <laughs> maybe i'm like a bit predisposition because i was a bit of a loner growing up like i just like kind of sat in my room and didn't <laughs> like didn't hang out with anybody and so like to have that grow into the thing that causes all of my like social interaction and like hanging out with people is pretty sick but yeah i love that whole aspect of it so that's cool that's yeah cool. <clears throat> um going back to biking Dude, I recently got into mountain biking. It's like my favorite thing ever right now. Here, check this shit out. Yeah. Look at my leg. It's just like bruised to fuck. Oh, damn. Just like have a fight off. with a tree. Uh, but yeah, basically I was uh, mountain biking yesterday um, in Santa Cruz. And yeah, I hit a log and just went over the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was fucked. So... That's, yeah, I've been super into that lately. So I, can, I totally understand like the the thing with biking now. I used to think motorbikes were 
like pretty dumb. I was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's like dangerous as fuck. Like, why would you do that? You can get to where you're going in a car and like, I mean, yeah. cars, are pretty, cars are super dangerous too, but less, yeah. less so than motorbike. It's like, if you come off yeah. on a motorbike, it's like 90% You're just chance. a pedestrian flying at 100 k's per hour. Like, yeah. Well, there's yeah, no you, cage around you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you come off, uh, I mean, if you crash a car, it's like, you know, you depending on how fast you crash and how bad it is can be real bad but mm, i don't know i've had i've been in a few car accidents I've, and i've been okay i've been in one motorbike accident and it like fucked me up like it didn't fuck me up massively it just like like cut a bunch of shit on my leg wait were so, you on a motorbike yeah so, oh shit so, i don't know you rode that's sick i i don't i haven't in a long time but when i was like 15 or 16 my dad bought me a posty bike <laughs> um like one of the you know the posty bikes that are like red Honda. Yeah, yeah it's like a honda or something like that um, yeah they're the just this they distinct like one with. linear look like they don't have it that's the one posty bike that exists <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so he got me one of those and it's just like a piece of shit it was like so heavy and like didn't really go that fast and i tried to take it over a jump <laughs> just <laughs> and just like fucked myself up <laughs> <laughs> i believe that i totally believe you would do that <laughs> that's so wholesome that's yeah man whereabouts did you grow up in um because you're in new south wales right yeah i grew up in windsor which is like just the worst place or okay. it's, yeah it's like full of bogans and uh i don't know in have bike ever, jumps have, yeah yeah <laughs> have you ever heard of penrith no uh richmond uh or? in snow to, oh maybe actually maybe i did because i is it is richmond near the city or is it a fair way out no these are all a fair way out they're all like an hour out of the city yeah so i kind of grew up around those areas uh par- like Parramatta is sort of like getting out that way but you have to go like another 30 minutes to get to windsor yeah right so it's just like yeah super Bogan-ish and uh, pretty backwards, and um, yeah, I had a pretty good experience growing up there. I, like, I think growing up there, like, oh, I don't know, this is hard to say, but like, I think it had a lot to do with who I am today. But also, like, I don't really believe in free will that much, so I think like yeah, potentially right. I could have grown up in like any setting and ended up the same, probably. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I watched a documentary on Netflix called Three Identical Strangers. I don't know if you've seen it no it's a good it's a, they it's this it's pretty freaky actually i don't want to spoil it I'll, I'll, like I, well i'm gonna spoil it yeah so right. yeah <laughs> if anyone's listening who's keen on watching that just yeah i was gonna say block your ears but i'm sure there's a technological way to to deal with that <laughs> um yeah there's like but, a pause button or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they just sit there waiting for it to end but it's on pause and then it just <laughs> keeps like um but um yeah, it's this documentary about the. They basically, this guy finds his long lost twin brother. He's living in New York and then he's like a couple Ks away. They like go to the same college. Like one guy leaves and then his twin like joins that college as soon as he leaves and everyone thinks it's him. And so they connect um, and it goes into the local paper as like this crazy thing. And then they get a phone call from another guy who's like, hey, uh, I think I'm the third, the. I'm a, I'm a triplet like I'm you guys look exactly like me and so anyway they connect up these there's these three identical twins living in New York and they're all within like 10 k's of each other like real close 
Um, but it turns out it was actually like coordinated. So there was some weird, um, some weird company that was like taking or like getting um, donation. This is long winded, but like basically they, there's this company that did these studies on identical twins and they put them in different families um, with different demographics. So one was sort of like in a lower class, like working class family. And then there was one which is like slightly better off. And then another kid who was put in the, in a, like an upper class wealthy family. And they studied sort of like what was nurture and what was nature. Um, and they actually turned out like they had different issues as people, but turned out to be still very similar people and like the same mannerisms and everything. So it's interesting. I think, yeah, I think there's probably a lot about, a lot about your person that's actually more to do with just your genes and the way you are, like the way you sort of inherit your behavior than it is you know, where you grew up. Anyway, it's a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> it's such yeah. such an interesting doco worth a watch. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, yeah, I've thought about that a lot and it kind of makes sense, I guess, but also it's like um, the free will argument is sort of like you don't choose your parents and your spawn condition and like your genetics and all that sort of stuff. So it's like there's already so many like random variables just from being born that you don't create and then everything is just like a chain reaction from there and most yeah. of it you don't control yeah so it's kind of like you either just get this roll of the dice constantly and it, yeah i don't know it doesn't really seem that free to me but um and, yeah. the, and the, the other thing that's kind of a red flag for me is like the whole argument of that we do have free will is pretty much predicated on the idea that we just feel like we do like that's yeah. the only argument for it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Does that, do you, do you find that affects, I mean, like actually this is, I guess probably almost a paradoxical question, but do you find that idea like affects, like that contributes to your decision-making process? Kind of the idea of like, well, I don't really have free will. So I'll just do what sort of, I don't know, like how, how do you, what's your relationship with your like impulses and thoughts in your head? Like you still have like internal conflict and decision-making, like does that actually affect your decision making uh no i mean i still live my life as if i'm gonna like as if, as if i take it seriously and like make decisions properly and make decisions that i think are good yeah but i think that the reason that i think that those decisions are good is not like super in my control and also like the fact that i believe that free will isn't a thing and i went down a path where I like looked into determinism and all all of that kind of stuff and uh, um, <clears throat> and compatibilism and and uh, libertarianism and, and all of that stuff and the fact that I like looked into all of it and I lean on the side of no free will and it makes me feel also like I want to make decisions still is like I don't think I had a choice in that either right versus like finding out about it and then just being like fuck it and like floating in the wind kind of like. Yeah, I don't think I like had a very conscious choice as to like the reaction it would would give to me anyway. I think the only right. thing that you gain from from f uh, believing that there is no free will is empathy for like people who just do dumb shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm kind of on the same page as you. Like, I mean, I I think what free will is maybe is poorly defined. I don't know. I have some sense that there's maybe free will in there, but it's yeah, it's not like completely like I can think and feel whatever I want 
Like I'm just this like blank canvas of a person and I can change what that looks like. I feel like maybe there is some wiggle room in there, but then, yeah, even then I, I get the idea of like what influences me to change my patterns of behavior or to do a different thing. Like that's, that comes from somewhere as well. Um, so I get, I get the thinking there. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there's probably a degree of like the whole debate over free will that's almost just sort of beyond our ability to observe. Like it, it's sort of impossible to measure it because we observe it based on like our own perception of it. I don't know. It's, I, I feel like it doesn't make sense to, to have like a ridiculous philosophy on it. <laughs> well, it's, almost, it's like one of the most important questions I feel like whether or not we make our decisions i mean we feel like we do and i guess that's really all that matters because that's like what we're dealing with but uh <clears throat> yeah i guess it's not that important of a question but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about i mean do you think like the the reason you would ask that question is to kind of assess like the quality of a person or like like i i'm i guess i'm trying to understand like what what's the use of the question, like, is it, is it about how we sort of measure ourselves and measure other people? Is that sort of what it's about? No, no, it's just a branch of philosophy that I find interesting. I feel like it's, I mean, I don't, I don't try to get too third person about it. Like, but I think it's probably, I don't know. I enjoy the, the like kind of position of having like a relationship with my decisions. And yeah, even if it is just that I feel like I have free will, I enjoy operating that way. I guess for me, because it adds value to the decisions I make, I'm like happy to just look and be like, yeah, I did that intentionally and that had like a good effect or a bad effect. And I guess that's part of me refining my way of thinking or part of how I feel like I grow as a person is by having that perspective that my decisions <laughs> are actually something I consciously have a relationship with. Mm. How would you describe free will though? Um. I don't you, know. Would you describe it as like that <clears throat> when you made a decision, you had the ability to do anything you wanted or that when you made a decision that you had the ability to do otherwise? Um, I guess I, I feel like they're the same thing, like what you're saying as in. Well, not really, because the first one, uh, you have the ability to do whatever you want. Uh, is not necessarily true because like right now, if I ask you like, what's, what's your favorite VST? Like, I don't know, tell yeah. me what, what your favorite VST is. Uh, maybe Shaperbox. Okay, so have you ever heard of Loom? Okay, so you were not free to choose and tell me Loom, which is currently one of my favorite VSTs. So, okay. So you didn't have the ability to, to say whatever you wanted there because you didn't know what Loom was, right? So like that was... Oh, right, one. yeah. No, so I'm like a... Yeah, I'm, I think... Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, I feel like I am at, as like my like impulses and what drives my thinking that's sort of almost a fixed finite thing mm -hmm. yeah like that, that's that's something that i can't i can't decide why i like something or like change that part of it speaking of finite things i've thought about ai and music a ton of times because i like yeah. every time i look at ableton i'm like man like when i first looked at ableton i was like oh this is so overwhelming there's like so much shit like how could you ever know what every knob does and now i feel like i know what most knobs do so i'm like uh this isn't that overwhelming anymore and actually it's very finite and then i think like <laughs> how many positions does every knob have and then how many <laughs> like 
things are there and then how many samples are on my hard drive and then how many samples are within those audio files you know and yeah i mean it's a large number but it's definitely finite and there's only so many possible things that i could do with those things on my computer albeit i could do a shitload of things yeah with all that stuff on my computer but it just makes me think like it's ai and music is probably not that far off right to be able to just yeah. like my the i or the the thing that I think will happen is, uh, so we have like neural networks now, right? They're basically, um, <clears throat> a neural network is essentially built yeah, off I've the Yeah, I've done a little bit of looking into neural networks and stuff. Well, at least yeah. within like getting them to play games. It's pretty fun to watch. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like um, the chess engines and Go engines and shit like that. Yeah. yeah oh, so I didn't watch, the, I started watching the AlphaGo doco, but I didn't. Um, Dude, it's so good. Or maybe I did watch all of it. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that memorable, but it was interesting. It was an interesting concept. Yeah, it's really that's a really good doco. Also, um, on the chess.com website, you can literally just watch engines playing each other all day, every day. It's just 24 hours on there. What? Yeah, it's That's sick. crazy. Do but they any- slow it down or do the computers actually operate just at a watchable speed? They operate at a watchable speed. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, neural nets, they basically... The reason why they're able to sort of learn for themselves is because the basis of how they're set up is the same way that the brain works it's like a bunch of connected neurons that uh have the possibility to fire to a bunch of different neurons which have the possibility to fire to a bunch of different and they'll they will fire in such a way that they think a result will happen from firing in that particular way and then they kind of like have this ability to do machine learning as well so yeah <clears throat> what i think you could do is somebody could just build a machine learning system that just sits behind Ableton, like in your dock or whatever, and just yeah. runs all the time whilst you're using Ableton. And it just sort of like watches you. It just like sees, <laughs> sees what you're doing all the time. And then yeah. eventually using machine learning, once it has enough data, like let's say a thousand hours of watching you produce constantly, it would be able to just like figure out what the point is and figure out like what it is that you like to do and figure out like <laughs> it, it would it would just like discover what the goal is itself and then it would just yeah. uh, start shitting out tunes and like and the more tunes that it shut out the better it would get at making them because it would like yeah. learn from doing that yeah like a little digital protege <laughs> yeah exactly I, I don't feel like that's that far off yeah yeah i could believe that for sure like, I wonder how much of that, because I feel like some of the music, like, I don't know how much of my, like, I guess I'm looking from the perspective of, like, could you, like, fully replace yourself with an AI version of you that would, like, write music? I don't know if, like, the music I write is really, I don't know. I wonder if the patterns of, like, what I like to write is really, like, circumstantial, because I feel like my interpretations of tunes I wrote two years ago are really different to what they were at the time. So I don't know if an AI could, like, follow the same musical journey like and continue it perfectly yeah. but i definitely reckon you could get an ai to like replicate a phase that you're in of like oh i write like this and i always do like these um sort of patterns or whatever i mean if, totally you, if it just if it just kept watching what you do i think it would just keep following the musical journey that you're on plus just be better than you at stuff <laughs> and uh, faster as well but i mean i i don't know i think like if this happened it wouldn't really be a replacement for humans making music in the same way that I think like a bunch of robots playing soccer 
is not a replacement for watching a human soccer game right because like part of it is is just how hard it is for a human to do that and the fact that you're in awe that a human has like put in enough hours to do that and the fact that they could like fuck it up at any minute and stuff like that like it's all yeah. of that like ice skating on the edge of stuff that's really tricky to do i think is like awe inspiring and watching a robot do it it's like yeah it's pretty cool nice technology but it doesn't like elicit that same feeling yeah i think it's there's an empathy component in that that's like what we really enjoy is like I mean, like, obviously, there's, like, the whole tension and release of the gameplay, but also, like, yeah, because they are people, I guess there's that, like, sense of empathy of, like, oh, like, what would it feel like to be the guy that scored that goal or, like, I wonder how that guy's feeling. He just lost and, like, I think it's all the chemistry that you, like, are thinking about. Like, not that it's that conscious, like, you're, like, directly empathizing with Ronaldo or whatever. Like, I wonder how his family life is. Like, you're just more, like the general idea of like humans doing this yeah i definitely think that's like a big factor in a lot of the things that we enjoy watching other people do because <laughs> you're pretty like techie in general like music isn't your only sort of field of um expertise when it comes to sort of techie stuff <laughs> not really i mean like i'm not a programmer at all um like i don't know how to program any i, I guess i know how to do like basic shit in max but like nothing crazy uh, like I'm not as good at Max as say somebody like Tom Cosm or Woolg or anything like that. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I think I like understand conceptually like how most shit in a computer works. Uh, yeah. I still get lost on like some things. And I think I'm like pretty good at like, you know, if something fucks up on my computer, like fixing it or something like it's Yeah, techie, yeah. <laughs> tech savvy enough in that way, but <clears throat> yeah, definitely not like... I don't know. I live in San Francisco, which is like the tech hub of the universe, right? So it's kind of yeah, like, right. like face all, all of Facebook employees and Google's employees and Twitter's employees and Uber and like everything is here. So it's like I'm just surrounded by engineers, software engineers. Yeah, so right. The standard's pretty high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's like moving to London and being like, oh, I'm a good producer. Like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this, I feel like the standard of producer over there is just so high. Yeah, it's probably because of all the drum and bass stuff like that's what i think man fucking drum and bass is so hard to produce because it's just so quick yeah i feel like um there's just not a lot of room it's not very forgiving in terms of things like compression release times and uh oh yeah yeah tails of things hanging over the edge of other things like with with halftime and stuff like that is like a kick drum can like ring out a bit and a snare can ring out a bit and stuff like that and doesn't get in the way of anything else because like yeah there's a bunch of room before another drum or something hits but with drum and bass it's like everything is so quickly uh and consecutively happening that there's just not a lot of room for error with all of that shit otherwise yeah. it just sounds super fucked but then yeah, it's, I think it's a everything... really tight bridge to walk right because then if you cut like too much of the tails of everything and like compress everything like too much then it, it doesn't sound like a heavy drum and bass tune it sounds like soft and oh. weak yeah it is it's fucking technical man like i feel like a lot of it is the mix as well like uh, i feel like with halftime and stuff you can get away with things being a bit whack as long as it's like loud and like sounds aggressive whereas with drum and bass like I don't know you just it it doesn't have the I don't know it just doesn't it doesn't work if it's not listenable for like a decent block of time and that's a lot to do with the mix 
Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, halftime and like uh, <clears throat> I guess what you would call wook bass or uh, <laughs> yeah. like a, a lot of dubstep these days and stuff like that. It's pretty forgiving because like once you just run a bunch of shit really hot into a limiter and chuck a bunch of noise over subs, it just becomes this big like wall of just and then like yeah. you just sort of turn it down every time a drum hits and you're good. But yeah. you, know, you can't really get away with that style of, of producing with, with drum and bass. You kind of have to be a little bit more... You, Ill Gates put it... I was talking to him about this once and he was just like, yeah, you can't be a slacker in drum and bass. And I was like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. You can't be a yeah. slacker when producing drum and bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking difficult. Yeah, I found like now I'm like learning mostly from um from like drum and bass artists in terms of like new sound design and mixing techniques like um oh shit um have you heard any of the new imanu stuff yeah he's really good that used to be signal right yeah yeah, yeah. i think so he's nutty yeah he's really good he's spastic and yeah some of his stuff is like just yeah the mix i, I think it's not necessarily like complicated it's just very precise and that's what's so like enjoyable to listen to is just like where everything sits in the mix. Um, it's sort of feels very intentional and it's the same with noisier mixes. Like they'll always be God tier in my mind, but like just the way everything's placed, there's so much logic to it. It's not like, I don't know, not that I don't, not that I hate how halftime stuff is mixed. Like some of it's really fun and it's just a different genre, but like some of it, it's just all smashed in there and squashed and, processed and it's like the dirtier the better kind of thing which is fun but yeah when you listen to some drum and bass stuff it's like snare is like here and kick is here and then you got this synth that's sort of like semi-wide and then you got like pads going on and then like percussion in the sides and sometimes the hi-hats are panned and like there's just a lot of activity and it's really fun to kind of pull it apart yeah i agree i try to yeah panning is like one of those things that is so underrated i think hey yeah i I always am like uh doing a mix and i'm like why does this sound so like one-dimensional and then i'll just start panning shit and i'll be like oh it sounds great yeah (laughs) yeah i think it's all just doing little things to not like i guess to stimulate your brain being like oh that's a little bit like imbalanced oh that's like a little bit over there or a little bit over there like Obviously, I think because I think of everything as like, well, but back before I started panning stuff, I just thought of everything as like mono or stereo. Like it was just like in the middle or in the sides, but it's more just like your brain interpreting these two channels and, and figuring out every little difference. And so anytime there is like a tiny little difference, your brain's like, oh, like, what's that? That's over there. Yeah. So panning makes so much sense. Right. Yeah. But it's like a really, it's like a really intense two channels because there's a full gradient there as well of like volume and width and spectrum yeah. and like frequency dude speaking of uh speaking of your brain and music i'm actually reading a book right now called this is your brain on music and uh yeah <clears throat> it's really interesting um there's yeah, a bunch of cool facts and one of the cool facts I, I told this to Reza the other day so people who have listened <clears throat> to this podcast have already heard this but this is like probably the coolest thing in the book uh, is something called uh, it's like a psychoacoustic effect called restoration of the fundamental frequency and basically what happens is like um, it's kind of like if you put a vocal in a tune and all the fundamentals of, of that like the the f- like all the fundamentals that should be there in the vocal are there in the form of like bass or synths or whatever. 
yeah um, you can just cut all the fundamentals out of the vocal and your brain will just make the difference up yeah um, it just pieces it together with the harmonics yeah That's exactly mad. and they did some tests with owls where they attached monitors to the owl's head like not a not a human like an owl <laughs> uh and they played it a mozart song with all of the fundamentals removed and the owl like its neurons fired in such a way that it put the melody like directly back together for the Mozart song and then they were able to take like the neuron uh, information from the owl and convert it back to MIDI and it just like played the Mozart melody perfectly that's so bizarre yeah (laughs) also that was someone's day like they came home and they're like damn I just like played Mozart to an owl today (laughs) and like (laughs) that's a good Sounds like a good job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there'd be down days where he's just like doing a lot of paperwork. And then there's the days where he gets to like do some weird shit, like mm. play music to an animal. That's sick. <laughs> and so the, the coolest thing I think I've like taken away from this book so far is m- pretty much just that like, um, like music does not happen in your ears, it happens in your brain. Yeah, the ears are just a conduit to to vibrate and send signals to the brain, and then everything happens in there. Yeah, same with color and everything, really. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, it's all just your brain kind of breaking down math. Well, I guess yeah, it's weird that because I think about the link between that and like I feel like how cultural art is. It's weird that there's like another sub layer which is all like to do with how that helps you like express more complex ideas like human concepts like emotions and sort of like how you feel about things not just from a base perspective of like oh this is loud and so I'm like more alert but more like I'm angry at my dad and this like guitar and its harmonics help me feel angry at my dad like that link is really bizarre (laughs) (laughs) yeah I wonder what that is I think part of that is kind of like you want to fuck with your dad a little bit, but not so much that you like sleep with his, uh, your stepmom or something like that. Right. Like that would be like too far. So you're like, instead I'll just listen to like, uh, music that he doesn't like in front of yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'd be like, how do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Rage Against the Machine, dad? <laughs> yeah. It's all rebellion. Yeah, it's like a way that you can rebel, like, uh, civilly without causing too much of a problem. (laughs) Because the worst you can do is be like, that's the fucking thing about music, right? It's like the worst anyone can do sort of with the music that you listen to is be like, that's shitty music. And then you just always have the argument of like, yeah, well, like, that's just your opinion. Everything is subjective, subjective. Yeah, yeah. It's not like other professions where like, you're not like, building a structure that people are going to live in someone can come along and be like that's objectively dangerous like people will die whereas with music it's like oh that's bad and then it's kind of like oh well that's just based on sort of like feelings that you're having and experiences that are going on in your brain so it's like no threat to the structure of my music 
Yeah, imagine if someone came in and did your plumbing and they just like left and there was just faucets like leaking and spraying water everywhere and shit. And you're like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, yeah. like this bathroom yeah, is unusable. And he's just like, oh, it's subjective. I find it right. very usable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like it really connects me with where I'm at. Like, I'm, <laughs> he's just like breaks down his relationship with your bathroom. <laughs> like, it's just like a phase I'm in, man, where I just like don't plug the underside of the sink into the, the main plumbing. That's <laughs> yeah, just, I feel like that's a different approach you know it's like i've been uh taking a lot of influence lately from uh pool mechanics and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like they never plug shit in the pool has to fill up somehow <laughs> yeah <laughs> Damn. um what else is there to talk about uh man my fucking leg is sore i got another mad bruise on like the inside of my leg here <laughs> And then I have another yeah, one. Like, is that also yeah. mountain biking? Yeah, this is all from mountain biking. I see. Fuck. Do you go like real <laughs> steep, or is it sort of like trails, or like? It's super steep and very thin, and uh, there's just no way to go slow because just there's only so much brakes do when you're Holy on shit. a s- steep incline like that. Because what what happens, right, is you're either rolling or you're braking and sliding. So it's yeah, like, no if you're braking, you're still going down the hill. You're just going, and just like sliding <laughs> yeah. on your wheels. So the brake is just like, how much control do you want to have over your direction? And that's it. <laughs> Pretty much. It's kind of just like you, f- you have to tap them and feather them to sort of just like slow you down and slow you down enough so that by the time you like hit a corner or something at the bottom of the hill, you're not going to die. But that's exactly how I crashed is I was yeah. going down a hill and I broke broke too hard and went over yeah and right went straight yeah. over that's crazy do you go like oh, is there a lot of like obstacles and trees and shit or is it just like sort of a big open uh there's a shitload of obstacles and trees uh it's it, so it was in a forest that i went it was called uh the flow trail in the Sokol demonstration forest in santa cruz and yeah, it's basically like, um, it's kind of like, so the way I would describe mountain biking is it's basically just like advanced hiking. <laughs> it's like, it's like fast hiking. It's kind of like, I guess, skiing, hiking. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can kind of see what you're on about. I feel like it's, it's definitely a few rungs above advanced hiking though. That's like, sounds dangerous as fuck. <laughs> Dude, you want to see some crazy shit? Yes. So like, check out this guy's run. This is the most insane shit. I'm going to shut this. But yeah, just watch how fucking fast this guy goes. So this guy's from Spain. His name's Andreu Laconda guy. Uh, so he just instantly backflips off this thing. <laughs> oh, shit. So see how he's just sliding? Yeah, I've got about two frames a second on this video, but there's some cool All stills. Right. 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 There's no point in watching it if you're just getting stills. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop this shit. Uh, but yeah, I might anyway. have seen that one though. Hang on, I'll look it up. Uh, I, here, I'll send you a link. Hold on. Oh, yeah. All right, here. Yeah, you just just mute it and then just explain what you're seeing, I guess, as you're seeing it so people don't feel left out here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's mounting off. Yeah, little, yeah what the fuck? Yeah, straight into a backflip. <laughs> and then the sliding, what the hell? So that's I what I mean. You... That's what I mean about breaking. When you break, that's what happens. Because you go. It seems down like and... he's almost like it's like a skateboard where he's actually kind of using it to curb his speed a little bit or something. Like he's just doing these little skids to kind of like slow down. 
Yeah, kind of. But I mean, he's not slowing down much, right? Like he's mostly just sliding and just sort of staying upright. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, some of these descents, like it's like almost vertical off that cliff. I know, man. It's fucking nuts. For anyone who wants to watch this, Google Red Bull Rampage 2019 highlights. It goes for about an hour, but uh, just click through it. It's insane, man. Yeah, these people just literally drop off cliffs on push bikes. It's That's like, nuts. oh, oh, sorry. I'm at 46, uh, 17, and yeah, you just like dropped off this massive cliff. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's. I feel like you would have some absurd callus on your taint from doing this oh uh, yeah <laughs> yeah you'd have a you'd have a thick and rough taint yeah yeah Hold on. pelvic floor <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, no kegels needed for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just one big muscle yeah. <laughs> i wonder if that's a thing like you can get jacked under there like <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> you, probably not jack i don't think there's a muscle there or there i mean there's probably something there I definitely think it would be not the same as normal people's taints. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hold on, hold yeah. on. I got another one to show you. Profoundly calloused taint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, check this one out. Just the the interesting thing about this one or the funny thing about this one is just what happens to the guy's tire. You can explain. Wait, oh, here we go. Explain what happens to his tire. <laughs> okay, big backflip. Big spin. Fuck. Wait, did it just buckle? Did it just <laughs> fully buckle? Holy crap. Yeah, he just hit the ground and his tire... <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, his whole, his whole he's tire. Like, so his tire's like inverted and he's like spoke... Like it's like gotten in the spokes as well. What the fuck? Oh, they've got a slow-mo shot of it. So like big spin. This is at 101. Yeah, one hour and one minute. Yeah, so basically his, his entire inner tube from his tire just pops out of the tube and his whole wheel just like bends. <laughs> and it's just like folded up and sticking out of the wheel like a little pool noodle. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it looks like, like a big balloon animal or something. That's um, nuts. Yeah, so yeah, I've, I've been into this shit lately, but not like there's no fucking way I would do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just doing like basic trail riding, but yeah, this has just been at the top of my interests of late, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, even that, that's nuts. I watched this video of this dude um, on a fixie with no brakes, um, just riding through like this, um, I think it was Athens, but like ridiculous city traffic. He's got no brakes and <laughs> anything like, and there's just all this merging traffic and shit and he's riding at pretty decent speed. So all of his like life basically depends on how quickly he can steer around random cars popping up and shit. Wow. So he, why he just took the brakes off it? Yeah. I don't know why. I think it's just like, I don't know. It's some like weird, <clears throat> r ridiculous cult level of minimalism. He's <laughs> just like no brakes. Um, yeah. But yeah. Like Weird. Just trying to get rid of as many things as he can in his <laughs> life. You go into his house, he just has like one utensil in the utensil drawer. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he just has like a butter knife that he uses for everything. <laughs> yeah, and there's just like a, a like a little like cutout of a bike that's in a concrete wall and, and that's it. He just puts his bike in the wall and he's got his knife. And it's, <laughs> he just sits on the floor and <laughs> eats toast. Yeah. Uh, that he that know. he toasts by sticking on the knife and putting it in the <laughs> <Yeah>. oven. 
Yeah. He just like he just gets any sort of like residue that he's collected on his bike from riding at high speed. He scrapes that off and sort of uses that to light a fire. Just like just friction from the knife into the 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 tinder of bugs stuck to the front of his bike. But yeah, no, it was weird, man. Like, yeah, no brakes or anything, and he's just full on going through it was at the level though where i was watching it and i was like man you're actually kind of being a dick because there's like all these cars just like beeping at him and stuff like what the fuck it's just like this dude riding a push bike in the middle of traffic like cutting in front of people and like because he can't slow down if he hits a red light he just has to like weave through perpendicular traffic perpendicular perpendicular. i don't know (laughs) weird yeah this guy's a real perpendicular yeah (laughs) Dude, I watched a YouTube tutorial the other day on how to brew kombucha, because I'm, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like into brewing. I got into brewing a while ago. I started brewing a bunch of beer, and then yeah. I was like, oh, I'm gonna start brewing kombucha too because I like kombucha. And anyway, I watched this tutorial, and the top comment was, uh, "This guy's a real kombucha." <laughs> it's like, dude, that's such a YouTube comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a wholesome level of like it's not a dad joke but it's kind of like that nice amount of shitty joke <laughs> yeah it's like some reddit shit or something oh fuck i actually saw this great um my friend sent me this like someone had made like a post on reddit of like some shitty dude when he was a teenager he's like i was going through my stuff and i found like an old um dc comic that I'd like taken paper and tape and like taped over all of the dialogue in the comic books to make him say like stupid shit. And it's sort of this really nice bracket of like just sh- jokes that a kid would make, but it's also kind of funny. Hang on, I'll, I'll send it to you. I think I've got it open here still. Yeah. Um, While you're uh, sending this, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was riding through Golden Gate Park yesterday with a buddy and we're trying to find some some single tracks to ride and yeah. we we're going down like this path that had a bunch of tracks off the left and right and uh he was like oh let's go up here like maybe this will be a, a cool little track and i rode in there and i saw that it like quickly dead ended but i sort of yep. rode to the dead end and then to the left of me like in the shrubbery i just saw a dude sucking another guy's dick <laughs> and then i was like <laughs> Uh, all right, I better get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, <laughs> you're just it was sort just of like... awkwardly turning around, like, don't mind me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry, guys. <laughs> It'd be great if you were coming through at like some ridiculous speed as well. So you just like, <laughs> 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 it's like, whoa. <laughs> uh, all right, what's this? Um, okay, so there's a guy crouching, and then there's a guy. <clears throat> so there's an alien guy in a red leotard crouching with a look on his face like oh no uh and he's doing that because there's a guy with blonde like goldilocksy type hair who's like real jacked holding some sort of i guess what looks to be like a laser gun or a nail gun or something at the alien so the alien's like no don't shoot me with that <laughs> um and then the, the goldilocks guy is saying like another one it's like then, taped over half of it's like taped yeah, yeah over this is a, this dialogue. is all it's like, like edited yeah yeah so these are captions that look like comic book captions but i guess somebody has like stuck white tape over them and then just wrote different captions on it (laughs) so this guy is like another one and then the alien is like oh no sorry it's all him like sort of like with pauses in between i think and then the last one is that (laughs) i gotcha okay so 
So he's like, another one. Hi, where are the other guardians of the garbage? In my pants? And then the <laughs> alien is like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's just, it's sort of this, I don't know, it's so shit, but so great. I think, yeah. Maybe I should stop sending images and like forcing you to describe them. <laughs> no, this is going to be a new segment of the show. Bill describes memes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like a, it's like, yeah, uh, you know how like when you go on, I don't know if it's just Netflix. There's like a, it's definitely not just Netflix. How they have like um, narrated movies. So like the opposite of subtitles. Like if you're blind, you can watch a movie, but they just describe everything that's happening, and then you listen to the dialogue. Oh right, it's, interesting. Yeah, it's like that. But for comic books, you're welcome, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that could be. A, <clears throat> I don't know. Do you think memes? Uh, can ever possibly be funny described through text or described through vocal um, <laughs> dialogue I, I guess I don't know like if it's a picture based meme maybe there's like it's it's a different art form I think it becomes a completely different joke when right, you describe here, let, it let me let me describe a meme to you that I have on my phone okay. I'll, uh, all right, I'll, yeah, I'll let you know if this is funny. yeah this is the first one I found Right, so it's a picture of like just an old dude's face and he looks like kind of confused. And he, he says, you put ribs in the oven at 200 degrees for four hours and they fall off the bone. Your body is on your skeleton at 98 degrees for 70 years and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, uh, then, the oh, sorry, sorry, the best part though is uh, at the bottom, it says Dr. Michael Baden on the paradox of meat. <laughs> Paradox of me. <laughs> oh, that's the it's so picture. Oh, it's oh, kind of tough to see. Oh, no, it's yeah, I feel like a lot of the comedy is in yeah. the the awkward zoom. It's like blurry and shit. Yeah, yeah, I it's too visual. It's really, it's really difficult. Oh, this one I think works through through dialogue. Uh, what generation does Forrest Gump belong to? This is a Tinder message. Yeah, so, okay. one, so the the first the person initiating the Tinder conversation says, "What generation does Forrest Gump belong to?" And the person replies, "What?" And he says, "Gen A." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the and then the person responds, "I don't get it." <laughs> That's actually great. Yeah. I feel like that's easier to understand verbally explained because you can do the the voice. Did he just write Gen A? Like yeah, yeah, G E N like G, and then G. A. Yeah, Gen yeah, A. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I think that that only works because yeah, the the actual joke is in text. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking yeah. of jokes in text, have you ever watched stand up comedy with subtitles on? It's kind of weird because you get the punchlines before they say it. Yeah, I think I've had that with comedy movies and it ruins it. It's like It does ruin it, yeah, because of like the timing and shit and the yeah. delivery and stuff. Yeah, it totally sucks. I feel like it's annoying when it's like like with comedy movies and stuff, sometimes if the audio is like poorly mixed, I'm kinda like I have the subtitles on so I can read it if I need to, but then I have to like intentionally ignore the subtitles so I get the punchline. And then, like, I think I think that's just a sign that my hearing probably isn't that great. But, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's not a fun time, like, ignoring text on the bottom of the screen. It's hard, yeah. If there's subtitles, I'll, I'll read them. And I'll just, like, fully ignore, like, everything else on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do. Like, if, 
it's funny because there's like so much more density than the words happening like on the like in on 95 percent of the screen yeah but for some reason my brain is just like no i have to look at this bit <laughs> yeah even if you know exactly what they're saying you have to like read the text and follow along it's like karaoke <laughs> reading the words <laughs> as they're being said yeah dude every movie should be subtitled exactly like karaoke where there's that little dot that like jumps <laughs> yeah. from word to word <laughs> <laughs> and it like it'll sort of like hover over a word and do a little shake if there's emphasis or something like that <laughs> like, I want, you know what I've wondered is like I wonder what the limit is as to how much how much of the dialogue you can put on the screen at one time <clears throat> like so like say someone starts saying something you just put the entire paragraph there so like <laughs> they start talking <laughs> you're like got a full block of text down there so you're like way ahead of them by the time they finish their sentence because I definitely Man, had that. There's some where like they don't do multiple lines; they just do mm -hmm. one really long line that goes from edge to edge, mm, and it's kind of really yeah. distracting. True. Yeah. Maybe they should work vertically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just Actually, put it all down the side. Is that um, in? Um, I don't know if it's Japanese or Chinese. They write vertically. That seems tough to read that way. They, yeah. I definitely know from Chinese you write, you read from right to left i think yeah yeah i don't know i feel like there was some language where they write vertically <laughs> i'm like i wonder how that works for subtitles there's just like a big line on the right hand side of the screen with all the words I is don't there know. a language that writes vertically oh yeah traditionally chinese japanese and korean are written vertically in columns going from top to bottom and ordered from right to left with each new column starting to the left of the preceding one yeah. Crazy. So yeah, it's written from top to bottom, left to right, uh, right to left. Right to left. Yeah, that's weird. Speaking of uh, subtitles, I um, was watching this show recently called Dark on Netflix, <clears throat> and it's oh, this yeah, I've German. Seen, I've seen bits. You've of seen it. it? Yeah. Okay. No, I, I watched like a good portion of the first season, maybe. Nice. So, um, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, so it's it's in German, but it's overdubbed in English. Yeah, and then there's like parts where it has to like explain what's what the poster says on the wall or something like that down the bottom in a subtitle. You know, like yeah. if if there's a shot of like a police station down the bottom, it will say like police or whatever, so you know what police means or whatever. Yeah, police or however you say that in German. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, like before the credits roll, every time it says subtitles by Nathan Fritz because he yeah. has the job <laughs> of like subtitling. So it's like he can just put it like wherever he wants. He's got his just, own credits roll. He can yeah. just put it. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's the star of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did I notice that I watched a film the other day and they didn't put him in the credits, whoever did the subtitles. And so it got right to the end of the credits and he just like put himself in. Like right in the middle of the screen, like <laughs> subtitles by this guy. Dude, he should, have put a, he should have put it before the credits, like Nathan Fritz. That's a real flex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a watermark and everything. It's like not even finished the film. He's just like putting his little logo in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like if you're the subtitle guy, you can put your shit wherever you want. So yeah. <laughs> you, get, you, you have the right, like it's your job to put words on the screen. Yeah. You can just write whatever. I wonder how much they check that stuff. Like they go over it and they're like, oh, there's typos and stuff. Like obviously someone would like, but I wonder if it's just the, the one guy that sort of has the autonomy to like check all of his um, subtitling because it couldn't be that complicated of a job if you got all the script and stuff. 
Yeah, I wonder if there was like a meeting about it. They like all got into a room and they're like, hey guys, we, we got to talk about this Nathan Fritz thing. He's uh, putting his <laughs> name before the credits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. wonder if they just were like, oh, it's not worth fighting Nathan over. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like, what much. are they going to, I guess they could just get another subtitle guy, but I feel like they must be, I wonder <laughs> if they have like a strike system where they're like, all right, look, you kind of interfered with the first episode of our program by putting your name in too early. Don't do it next time. And then they sort of watch the, the draft the second episode and they're like yeah see look he's done it again he's put his fucking name too early you gotta stop that man <laughs> it's not a huge deal but it's a slight nuisance <laughs> <laughs> they're like nathan this is a slight nuisance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're being slightly annoying <laughs> yeah like that he's got like small man syndrome because he his, his like job isn't that important <laughs> he's just like fuck you <laughs> yeah it's just like anyone who can a type and b talk both german and english can just do this job <laughs> yeah yeah oh shit i didn't even think about that i mean like there would be english people working on the team but what if it's like uh, you're like doing subtitles for like a nation a nationality that they don't typically have english as a second language so they don't actually know what you're writing so you can just sort of put whatever the fuck <laughs> and no one's no one's quality checking it true yeah oh unless there's like one bilingual person or something that specifically speaks those languages in the who watches it in that region or whatever and then complains yeah yeah i mean that's a pretty loose fail safe like <laughs> you could just fall through the cracks and write whatever you want i mean I'm, that's that's probably a wild assumption i'm sure i'm sure it's really not really happened that often <laughs> yeah i would imagine that's just pretty quality controlled i feel i feel like netflix run a pretty tight ship <laughs> yeah yeah for sure then again i wonder how much they have to do <clears throat> with like the creation of programs and stuff i know that they some things say like netflix exclusive or produced by netflix or whatever but seems to me kind of like just a record label right it's like yeah <clears throat> you can totally. release your show on our platform kind of or maybe not like a record label i don't know yeah kind of like beatport or something like a distributor yeah yeah they just kind of like buy the rights to it they didn't necessarily produce it or anything. They just kind of like paid a smaller production company to exclusively distribute it or something. Mm. So there's people who get paid to stream exclusively on platforms too. Like, um, for instance, I was at, uh, hanging out with Dead Mouse and this guy once who streams under the name, I actually don't remember, but... Uh, oh, like live stream, not like like watch yeah. tv <laughs> yeah, get like, paid like, to like only watch netflix <laughs> it's like what <laughs> that's a yeah, crazy business plan <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but this guy was getting paid by facebook to exclusively stream on facebook like they they were just like don't stream on twitch and youtube and we'll pay you money just to stream on facebook that kind of <laughs> makes a lot of sense like because i feel like yeah if you're I don't know. It's like, honestly, a, a, a streamer is almost like its own, his own channel to some degree. Like, I feel like the dedication of audiences is so like, I don't know, it's a big deal. Like you have your streamers that you watch. It's not like, um, well, I guess like YouTube where you just like search shit up and you like you subscribe and stuff. But I think with stuff like Twitch or live streaming, it's, it's a lot more like, there's a lot more of a dedicated audience. So if you can get a couple of big streamers to go on the Facebook platform, then everyone's like, oh, I, I only watch streams on Facebook mainly because this guy does it. I don't know. It makes sense. Wouldn't it just make more sense for Facebook to acquire Twitch and just like embed it into their platform? 
Yeah, I suppose they'd have the money to do that. Maybe Twitch just said no. <laughs> or maybe they never yeah, pitched. I don't know. I mean, they definitely have the money to do it. They acquired Instagram. Yeah. And then just like, now that's Facebook, basically. I think they own what? Did they always own WhatsApp or did they acquire WhatsApp? Yeah, they acquired that too, I think. Yeah. It's crazy that big companies just buy smaller companies and then yeah. just make it integrate with their shit better like for instance uh ableton acquired cycling 74 right and then integrated max for life dude i reckon yeah. ableton should acquire more shit i think like they should acquire sonar works and just like integrate that or some like the headphone algorithms and stuff into the program they oh, should also yeah, acquire, yeah they should also acquire melodyne and just literally integrate melodyne into ableton oh yeah is that i don't really <laughs> use it much but that's mainly for like vocals and stuff yeah, it's just like a retuning thing that's really cool. I mean, Fruity has one in it. It's called um, a new tone. It's called, but I think it's be. new it? tone. Or yeah, and you can like repitch shit. And yeah, I think that's new tone. There's a, I think there's another similar one, but no, I think it's new tone. Let me see, Fruity Loops new tone. Yeah, that's it. It looks exactly like this, actually. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like, why doesn't Ableton have something like that? Yeah. It feels weird though. I feel like they treat half of their plugins like they like like ones that they kind of provide from ImageLine. They sort of set them up to look like third-party plugins. Like and like with resampling, like why is Edison a plugin? Why not just integrate that into the interface? Like so many people I know like it's like Edison is like just a staple part of their workflow because it's like, you know, like Ableton, like resampling's sort of like a really useful thing. But I don't know. Yeah, what do you? I I didn't really ever get the workflow of Edison down. So I used uh, Fruity for like three days or something like that in quarantine because I was gonna do a video on it, like Fruity versus Ableton. But yeah. then I just, as the more I used Fruity, the more I was like, I'm just not at all in a position to talk about this program because it's so it's so deep. Like you yeah. just keep clicking menus and shit, and it just keeps going <laughs> in. And it feels it's, like what happened is they built like a drum sequencer, which is what they did. Yeah. And then just kept like building shit on top of it and didn't like rethink the way the whole program works. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> exactly what's happened. And now they're like c constantly doing like fix-ups and workarounds, like for the last decade or whatever. They've been like trying to turn it into a like serious door. It is yeah. one of those doors like you have to spend like a little while using it to kind of understand why it's useful like mm -hmm. but it is full of workarounds um yeah so one the thing that I found to be like the the craziest workaround is that you have to well I don't think you have to do this but this is what I was doing is creating a channel and then having to like color the channel and then color the, the mixer channel that I assigned it to and then like there's two different things to name it's kind of like you have yeah. to and then the clip as well, like wouldn't recolor automatically, but it's just weird that you have to make a channel and then attach the channel to the mixer. It's like, why doesn't it just automatically attach to the mixer? Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird thing. I think I've, there's perks to it as well. Although like, I don't know, it's just a different workflow. Like, yeah, it's sort of a weird ass around. And I think it's just literally a product of the fact that they made a loop making program. Like it was just meant for, to just be a little canvas where you could paste loops wherever and listen to them mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then it turned into like, oh, let's give it a full mixer or whatever. Um, and in FL20, I think they, they introduced like that sort of linking capability. So you can kind of like, you could drop a plugin onto a mixer channel and it would assign a an actual channel 
sound, I feel like this would sound really weird for someone who hasn't used FL Studio. It's really confusing. But mm-hmm. like your mixer channel and then you've got your actual like audio device or channel sort of thing and they're separate. So you've got something that makes a noise and then you've got to like manually plug it into a lane like a physical mixer or else it just defaults to the master. Um, but now, yeah, with FL20, they introduced it so you can just like drop a plug-in onto a mixer channel and it'll link the 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 audio channel that it creates. It'll actually link that um, sort of like permanently or not permanently you can unlink it but like everything you do to that um is automatically linked um Hmm. i do really like the canvas view with fl that was one thing that i really enjoyed was like just sort of putting anything anywhere and so like even if i have like a million tiny little bits of percussion all linked to different channels i don't have like a million track lanes on my arrangement view it's still just Hmm. like a pretty blank canvas and i can put everything on the one lane if i want to Uh, sort of just a more like creative way to look at what you're doing it's just like oh the drums feel the most important so i just like put all of the drums at the top and then like i'll have my melody here on the next lane down for this section but then the next section i might put percussion there and it's sort of just like a more visual canvas but then there was a whole bunch of shit that was just like workarounds and annoying stuff so it's like yeah like only being able to put eight plugins on a channel and then if you want to like yeah have more plugins you have to send it to another thing I don't know why they haven't... Uh, there must be something like in their coding that makes it really hard for them to change that because that would be like the first thing I would change if I could like just... Yeah, because you're limited to like 10 plugins and then you got to reroute. The only other thing is like Patcher. I don't know if you got around using Patcher. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Patcher, I like... I think Patcher is pretty cool and that's like a lot of people's workarounds is like they just do everything in Patcher. But even then, like I found Patcher annoying because like say like with Ableton, you got that sort of modular setup where you can drop everything in. And if you move one thing to the left of another thing, it's like automatically like that becomes before that in the effect lane. Whereas with Patcher, you put all your plugins on this canvas and then you have to plug them into each other, which is great unless you just want to do like a straight line of effects. And then you're like putting your plugin in and then like dragging a cable from here and then dragging a cable from here. And like every single time Mm. you do that, it's just sort of real slow. Yeah, that's true. I guess Patcher is a solution to that. Yeah, it can do a lot of cool things. Like I love like how you can pretty much link anything to anything and then like you have like a little control service surface so you can do like a bunch of macro shit. Mm. So did you use Fruity before Ableton? Yeah, I've pretty much, I think in retrospect, I've used them for equal amounts of time. So I've used, hmm. I used FL Studio for five years um, and then I've used Ableton Live for five years. Huh, why, why did you switch? Um, it was sort of all the little things that I saw people doing in Ableton, like automation for starters, just like it's just easy in Ableton. Like it just goes where you think it should go and it doesn't make any mess. Automation in FL, like it's literally like its own little segment. Yeah, it's its, it's, it's, its own, own clip. <laughs> yeah, and it just sits wherever you put it. And so like if you move a midi clip that has automation attached to it the automation will stay where it is and the midi clip will just move and so suddenly they're like out of sync that sort of stuff was annoying uh resampling was another thing that i was like fuck man i really want to just like be able to resample and not have issues yeah not not use edison yeah Um, yeah i like so edison has some interesting shit like the ability to like detect transients and do some stretching and do some strange like cutting things and granularization i believe and just a bunch of weird shit but um but yeah it's so much 
more of a pain in the ass to like record into a device and then record out uh, pull that sample out into ableton than it is to just like record directly into a new channel or just like freeze something and just drag it to a new channel yeah yeah it just makes a whole bunch of mess like you've got like the sound you're recording in your arrangement view and then the plugin <coughs> on your mixer track which you're then opening a window for and then you're dragging that in which makes a new sound and then it's also created a sound file in this like folder called sliced sliced sounds or some of sliced sliced beats i think it was called so like every time you drag and drop from edison it'll like put it in this folder which was kind of fun like be able to go through like all your like random resamples and just like mm. listen to them all but you just have to open so many windows to just like get a bounce of a sound whereas in ableton it's like yeah. i just open another mixer track and then click resample and it's there or freeze and flatten or freeze mm. and drag like it's just way quicker yeah that's how i felt about fruity too it was like very messy and like very um yeah, the workflow just felt slow and clunky and cumbersome to me. But I think like it's probably just because I only used it for like three days. But then again, I used Bitwig for like three days and then I was like, this is great. And I streamed with it and everything and like finished tunes in it. And Bitwig sounded- seems very similar to Ableton, except just like, I guess, a bit more modular with all the sort of macro stuff. Yeah, and you just have like a bunch of cool shit like customizable key commands and uh the like plugins are sandboxed which means like if the plugin crashes it doesn't just crash your whole session like for instance um i've like gone to open ableton sessions before and just the session won't open and then i'll send it to tech support and they'll be like oh yeah it's like you know chromaphone.dll is just like crashing it if you just take that out of your vst folder it'll open fine so i take it out of the dll folder and open it and the session opens fine um but it's like yeah. in Bitwig that would just never happen because the the plugins sort of run in their own little sandbox within the software. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like a very modular kind of way to operate. So yeah, that yeah. crashes the whole thing. And it has like, um, yeah. it has MPE too, which is really nice. Uh, MPE stands for mul- mul- uh, mini pitch expression or multi pitch exp- expression. Basically, it's like if you draw a chord, like three or four notes or as many notes as you want, you can pitch bend every note separately. Oh, nice. Wow. What the heck? Yeah, it's fucking awesome. I've never seen so it's that. Like, yeah, it's called... Yeah, Google it. It's called MPE. Like, if you type into Google um, MPE MIDI, <clears throat> um, and then maybe go to, like, Google Images and type in... Uh, actually, type in maybe uh, MPE MIDI Bitwig and then go to Google Images and... Might see some images of it. Oh, whoa, that's mad. Like, they've got little, like, pitch bend lines for every single note. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so sick. That is very cool. Yeah, it's, it's really sick. And <clears throat> it just looks clean. Like, it looks really nice. And also, it feels fast. Like, yeah. one thing I think about Ableton is, like, it just it feels a bit clunky. Because it's been sort of the same as Fruity, just like built on top of code that's sort of old. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, uh, like I've chatted to a few people at the company and, and I think there's just differing opinions on what they want to do about that. But um, <clears throat> I think like what I would hope that they do, and I don't know, like this is just me talking out of my ass i don't really know what i'm talking about but what i would hope is that they would just like scrap ableton how it is and just try and rebuild it basically from scratch uh to where it is now just using sort of like a fresh set of code so yeah 
because you know like they'll uh, it seems like they'll do something like i don't know for instance um uh what's a good example like something that's not available in ableton like a tab to transient or something like that which should be available i don't know why it isn't um or you know i don't know just some some like strip silence or something like that it's like if they add some shit like that it might just break automation or like break yeah some other right. thing like um <clears throat> so it's kind of like super finicky so i think if they rethought it from the ground up kind of like bitwig did yeah they could add all of this super new technology which is i think kind of how bitwig operated they were like all right we're gonna just start from the ground up again um and sort of basically just try and build ableton but with all the new shit that exists like mpe and shit and try and integrate all of that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense because a lot of the companies that like the big door companies they've been around for like well the doors have been around for like a decade or longer and so they're exactly. like they, they didn't really know what they wanted to what they needed it to be and it sort of gradually evolved into this thing and so it's not the most like direct approach to accomplishing some of the things that they can accomplish now so yeah probably yeah. would make sense to like rework yeah, exactly. However, there is an argument to keeping old code, um, and that is that old code usually runs faster. And the reason why is because it was written to run on shittier computers. Yeah. So if if you put it on a new computer, it it's like very robust and quick. Yeah. Yeah, because the yeah. bug testing was like much more, much more, much less forgiving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, if you took new software now that we're writing for systems that are, that exist now, tried to run it on computers from like the eighties. You just, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my first computer was like a Dell laptop that had something like, I think 256 megabytes of Ram and like yeah. a 500 kilobyte one core processor or something. It was yeah. absolute dog shit. But I was yeah. I wrote like a whole album on it and that's kind of where I, discovered like resampling i guess because i could only ever have one midi channel happening at a time and i could i couldn't even listen to it in real time like i would have to make a midi channel like do a bunch of shit to it and then yeah render it to audio to even hear it <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> and then if i didn't like it i would like have to change a bunch of shit and then render it again <laughs> <laughs> damn i think there's probably something to be said for like having limitations in the press in your process though is you just like find a way to work with it that just becomes its own sort of part of your sound. Like I remember for a while when I was using FL, I had um, massive wouldn't run in a, uh, in FL for some reason. Oh no, it was because FL. I had a Mac, um, but I had to port. Oh, it was something weird because I had like a Mac and I had to port. I had to either port it, which means I couldn't install massive. I think that's what it was. I was porting it. I was doing like a little Windows, like a wine bottler or something like that. And I couldn't oh, right. run Massive. So I had to run Massive as a standalone plugin and then record all of my Massive patches and all of my bases. So they were all samples. Um, but it just made me really good with working with bass samples. And I like learned how to loop and like align the fades and everything. And just like I developed hmm. a bunch of techniques around my limitations at that time, which was hmm. like became a good thing. And like when I moved to Ableton, it was sick. I was like, holy shit, I'd have like everything is MIDI. It's not like set in audio, but it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, limitations are good, I reckon, sometimes. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, your your process is interesting. I remember watching you work 
a few times like just on streams and i think we did a call one day where i saw some stuff you're doing and it seems like you just have um you use the what's it called like places or some packs or user library or some shit yeah yeah and you just library. like have yeah and you just have like a whole folder in there of just like crap that you drag in there yeah yeah i've gotten it. really like i used to like make everything from like pretty much new every time. Like when I was in FL Studio, I used to make like new or try to make like maybe aside from snares because I would spend a really long time on snares. Like but I used to try and make everything for that project, which is probably a good thing. Like that was, it was like satisfying to know that I could make the bass that I wanted to make like on hand. But mm -hmm. I just like got to the point where a lot of the sound design I was doing wasn't always like this intentional i'm trying to make this noise like i'd just be mucking around with tones and then come out with this mad sound and it was on a day when i wasn't really wanting to write i was just like wanting to make sounds and i was like well i think the best thing i can do is just like save these sounds for when i do like go to go to like make a tune and i can just like whack it together so I sort of like segregate my process and so part of making that work is having to have like folders full of drums and like noises and shit. So I like build my own sample pack. I don't know. Is that normal? I don't know if that's normal. Like I basically build my own sample packs that I use later on. I think that's like pretty normal. Yeah. Um, I generally just sell all the sounds that I make because I'm, I just don't give a shit. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Like, I mean, I'm making them anyway, and then I use them, and then I eventually go like, these are old, and like, I don't want to use them anymore anyway. So I just give them away or sell them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do the same thing. I, I don't make a, all my sounds because quite often what I want to do in my music can honestly be done with just like sample packs and shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally. <clears throat> I like to make some of the sounds and usually the sounds that I do make, I try and make like the focus of the track, right? Because yeah, that's kind of the thing that's people are going to have their ears on and like that's the constant, the concentrated like bit of it. And yeah. Like the thing that kind of gives the track its face and its character and stuff like that. But I mean, shit like rises and like impacts. And oh yeah, I never make like, any of those. <laughs> like, yeah, like snare clap builds and you know, <laughs> stuff like that i i don't bother with because it's just all i just literally i go to splice like i just open the splice app and just type riser and then just like listen to a few and then go like yep sweet spend a credit on that and just literally drag it straight from the splice app yeah in my session. <laughs> yeah i think it's like well i think for me it just comes down to like the parts that you actually enjoy doing like you don't like i don't know no one's there like hanging over I, like i used to have this idea when i was like particularly with like the neuro kind of producer crowd and stuff there's this like kind of stigma that you have to like make everything from scratch you have to make everything yourself but i just found like yeah you just do the bits that you enjoy like if you're someone that just enjoys using samples and writing songs then you're going to get good at writing songs with whatever samples you use and if you're someone that really enjoys just making the noises then you'll get really good at that but the point is you just like work within your area of interest and that's that's fine. There's like lots of people who make amazing music that don't make their own samples and then vice versa. There's lots of people who, you know, make amazing music who do make their own samples. It's just, I think it's I'm, fine. I, I'm just imagining like some neuro producer or something who just accidentally drags a sample into his session and he's just like, fuck, that's the coolest thing ever. It's a shame I can't use that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deletes it. <laughs> deletes it. <laughs> it's tainted. <laughs> like deletes his project. <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh, another sample has entered my project I yeah, must get yeah. rid of it immediately refuses his he, computer like, out the window <laughs> he deletes all like the windows system sounds because he didn't make them he's like 
<laughs> I won't start my computer unless all of the sounds are mine. <laughs> yeah. There is a definite yeah. level with that though. Like I think you just got, I don't know. Cause like there's just infinite depth as to how much you can really like do yourself. Like, I don't know, you're still using a computer that was made by another company with parts made by other companies again. And like, I don't know, there's just like, I feel like it's just this big ego thing of like, oh, I made everything myself. And I don't know, it's impressive. I feel like no, I'm impressed you- when I hear really good sound design, but more because the sounds are good, not just because like, just because the guy made them like i don't know i think what it is is that people like to think that the correct thing is just inside the boundary of what they do they're like (laughs) they're like this is (laughs) they're like this is everything i do and like the correct thing is like just here yeah and and everything like past that is wrong yeah i don't need to <laughs> but then do it's that, like yeah. the, the same with you right because you're like oh you know everything like this is fine to do and like you know you're using a computer that's made by someone else but then there's probably somebody else who's like no because i make my own computers and therefore like, yeah. everything <laughs> beyond this yeah no, i feel totally. like it's just all this like stupid arbitrary like boundaries and shit but i think um all of these sort of arbitrary limitations and stuff in music unless you're using them for creativity like a creative limitation or whatever are are all just limiting belief systems mostly yeah like for instance using the first sample in a pack like if you open a pack and the first sample sounds fine and good and it like fills in the gap that you're trying to fill in and and all that stuff then like there's no problem using the first sample out of a vengeance pack i think yeah i feel like all of it's sort of just to do with like yeah it's just like the perceived value of your music based on like how much you had to put into it or whatever but I feel yeah, like you need every- to feel like you have ownership over it. Yeah. But I feel like that's, I mean, that's definitely derived from like an unhealthy mindset. Cause I feel like everything is like, I don't know, like I, I, like, I feel like I always like think about Sam Galatri. Not that Sam Galatri doesn't need the ghetto, like he's a great producer, but the way he did his sounds, like it was like real kind of basic. Like I feel like a lot of his tunes were like, like at least before he started doing massive amounts of orchestral stuff, it would just be like a synth and like a kick and a snare and maybe like some vocal sample and that was the that was his whole track was just like a couple of things and for me i was like on the real neuro end of things where like you have to make everything it's gonna be super complex and layered and i'd listen to sam glacier and be like oh that's basic like that's not you know he's not like a a good producer but he just wrote fucking banging tracks he just wrote really cool tunes and i was like i think i just get to a point where it's like actually it's if it sounds good, it is good. It doesn't matter how you made it. Even if you push two buttons and the song came together, like no one gives a fuck. They're going to listen to it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I also think there's something to be said for like leaning on complexity as a crutch for bad songwriting as well. Yeah. Um, and there's some people like Sam Galatri who just don't have to because they're good songwriters. So they just put three things together and it does sit really nicely and fills all the space that you would want it to fill. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought about that a bunch too. But yeah, personally, I'm, yeah, I mean, in, in agreement with you in the sense that I think like how you get to the result doesn't matter so much as the result itself. And also just having fun during the result, uh, during the creation of the thing. I think that's like one of the most important things. Cause the thing is, is like, I've been doing this now for like 13 years or something like that. Yeah. And I'm always like, fuck, I probably will do this for like another 30 or 40 years. Like I have to figure out ways to 
constantly make it fun and like good for myself right because otherwise i'll just burn out yeah and i think if i was just forever in that mind state of like oh, i have to make everything and i have to like make these bases and i have to like do all this shit that like quite often i don't feel like doing i would just like burn out by doing shit that i don't want to do all the time i think yeah yeah i think fun is really just like the anchor point for me with all that stuff like as long as you're having fun like because yeah i think that maybe there are some people out there that really love sort of the technicality and the complexity like i, I love sound design and all that stuff and for me that's almost its own sport sometimes so i can kind of appreciate i get i get why some people are like a bit weird because they're like oh this guy didn't design his own sounds or whatever because they're interested in sound design as like its own sport almost like its own standalone thing it's not necessarily about the music but more about the like technique it's like how you get football buffs and they're not concerned with like how much points your team got as much as like the technicality of how like it was played and how this player like handled this or that or like you know all the little details it's almost like its own hobby so that's like but i think the important thing is like if you're just having fun it's sustainable like if you're not someone that's super fussy about sound design and that sort of stuff it's just not that kind of fun for you you just enjoy writing the music or something else but it's just finding the field that you enjoy and focusing on that like not giving a shit (laughs) right also sound design basically gets lost in a lot of contexts as well like for instance listening to music in a car like all the sound design gets lost and therefore if that's like the whole thing that you're leaning on for your song to be good your song sucks in cars yeah because <laughs> i mean there's so much like wind noise and shit right so like for instance i was listening to rob clough yesterday while i was driving down to santa cruz and it was like his album zero point is like one of the coolest things i think to come out this year uh and in the car i was just like i mean i can't hear any of the bass which is like a lot of where the interest is for me with his music and all of the edits kind of feel just like real tinny and yeah. you you lose like all the detail and texture of everything and stuff. And it just kind of sounds like uh, just like really modest, uh, glitchy techno, I guess. But yeah. it doesn't, doesn't sound like that interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's like that, like with, um, I had that with John Hopkins sometimes, like um, some of his tunes is just like a whole bunch of really nice like Foley layering and stuff going on and like, I remember I played it to my friend in his van and it was like the most mid-rangey speakers. So yeah, you don't get any of the bass. You don't get any of the like really crispy tops or anything like that. It's just basically like really boring house. Like there's a chord (laughs) that goes for like 16 bars and a kick. But yeah, without all that detail. So yeah, it's like so context dependent, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're, I think um, if you're writing music, uh, the people who are like super into sound design, I think are basically writing for themselves and other sound designers. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Like, I think that's that's totally fine for that. Like, because that's yeah, it's like its own field of fun. It's like really enjoyable, but yeah, it's not like a metric for all music, which is yeah, I think how some people approach it. Yeah, it's definitely not a metric of uh, musical value. I also. Um, have an issue with like putting a lot of value on effort as well like i know if i put a lot of effort into something like if i spend like 
you know, six hours making a snare or something, I'll, I'll have a really hard time deleting it. Even if I like yeah. grab a sample off Splice and put that in and I'm like, this sounds so much fucking better and I know <laughs> it sounds objectively better, but I'll have such a hard time using that instead of the one that I spent six hours on because I'm just like, oh, I invested so much. Yeah, that's so true. And like I'll, I'll put so much value on it, even though it's like objectively bad for the tune. <laughs> man that's almost like i feel like that opens up a whole almost can of worms for me in terms of like how do you like look at your own music and decide like because sometimes i feel like it's like that if i hear someone else's sounds and they're doing the thing that i want to do better than i do it i'm like oh shit like (laughs) where's the like i don't know i feel like there's a gradient there of like yeah on the micro level if your art form is like sound design and then you find a sound that's like better than the one that you made like well shit I don't know. Is it is it like a an artistic problem if I'm just like, oh, I'd rather use this person's sounds and then up to the point where it's like, I feel like this person just does this better than I do. I don't know. It's a weird uh, weird line. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think um, at that point, it's like you could just take influence from what they're doing and just do it in your own way, right? Because what you think might be a better version of what you do, somebody else might think what you do is a better version of what they do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. And I guess part of the fun is the like the writing bit. So like regardless of it, it's like as long as you enjoy writing it, like the fun of creating it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Cool, man. Well, we've been chatting for 99 minutes, wow. it seems like. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to go take a shower and probably go watch Netflix. I should watch this Three Strangers thing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of sinister, actually, to be honest, that it happened. A bit inhumane. <laughs> but um, <laughs> have you got any other cool Netflix recommendations? Um, trying to think. I've been watching, uh, not not Netflix. I've been watching The Boys on Amazon, which is like a show about like sort of superheroes, as though they're like a media asset. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> which is pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of fun. I'm trying to think. What else have I watched? watched a Shangri-La that's not Netflix that's Showtime but you would have that in the US I had to go a really weird route to get that but it's like a, <laughs> a, a documentary on um Rick Rubin um oh yeah I know that, the guy who like produces all the Metallica records and stuff yeah he like started Def Jam and produced for like yeah. um the Beastie Boys and a whole bunch of dudes like that it's a bit yeah. ethereal though I wouldn't necessarily recommend it but I did watch it it was, it was nice. fun Hmm. I don't know. Have you got any recommendations? I just finished watching, or haven't finished it quite yet. Um, I was watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's basically like... Uh, the other guy from Karate the, Kid. Yeah, it's like... um, But it's Karate Kid, like, based 30 years down the line. So it's kind of like the Karate Kid and his, like, nemesis or whatever are both, like, kind of old dudes. Just oh, is he still like in it? The life. original Karate Kid as well? I don't know if it's the original guy, uh, but it's like there's a character of him that's like 30 years down the track sort of and they're basically like all just in like their 40s or whatever just living life as normal but it's kind of <laughs> I don't know, it's a it's a pretty weird premise for a show but it's pretty good yeah well, i loved the karate kid when i was younger so i reckon that would be fun yeah you should watch that mad we got a bash cool man well thanks for chatting with me i appreciate you coming on the podcast that was pretty last minute it was kind of just like oh hey you want to do a podcast and i was like yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah. which is good because I, I i didn't do one last week because um i was supposed to do one last week with funny but he 
don't know we just didn't like line up a time to do it so i didn't get it done unfortunately but yeah it was good to just i i, I like it doing it this way better than the way i've been doing it which is kind of like um i'll sort of like plan out with someone like well in advance like and have a calendar date and a time and yeah. shit to do it and, and, and then you know, when that time rolls, yeah and, and when that time rolls around to have the conversation i'm like uh, maybe i don't want to talk right now you know like yeah I'm, maybe i just want to fucking chill but yeah i mean i i like doing it in this uh like just off the cuff kind of like we did today where it's just like yeah hey, let's just record one yeah yeah i was just like in the mood to chat yeah it was good that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, fuck yeah. Very of course, sick. man. All right. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right, have a good one. Yeah, you too, man. Catch you later. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.